hello and welcome to today's episode of the Pediatric Consult. I'm Dr. Paul Bunch, a pediatrician in the greater Cincinnati area and your host for today. Today's topic is acne, a very common situation that we face in the primary care office. I'm in the studio with Kelly Harris and Beth Mavis, two of our nurse practitioners in the Cincinnati Children's Department of Dermatology. Welcome Kelly, welcome Beth. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to start by getting to know you guys a little bit. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about your training, um, how long you've been in the Division of Dermatology, and maybe even some interests outside of the hospital. Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and start. My name is Beth Mavis. I am a dermatology nurse practitioner, like you said, at Cincinnati Children's. I have been in dermatology now for five years. Um, half of my uh, clinical time is spent with pediatric dermatology. The other half is epidermolysis villosa in the EB centers. Um, prior to that, I was an anesthesia nurse practitioner at Children's for three years and then worked on the adolescent med unit as an RN for, I believe, six years. Okay. And Kelly? And my name's Kelly Harris. I've been at Cincinnati Children's for 10 years. I worked in dermatology as a nurse for a while um, and then actually went to the ER for a couple years and came back to dermatology in 2017. And I've been a nurse practitioner in dermatology for the last two years. Well, thank you. Welcome. And as I said, today we're going to talk about acne. Um, acne is very common. You know, many of us who are listening have probably dealt with acne as a teenagers, even to adulthood. Uh, can you guys talk a little bit about how often acne affects people um, and, you know, what ages we tend to see it and any risk factors that are, have been identified? Sure. Um, so acne is very common. About 85% of people from the age of 12 to 24 have had issues with acne. Um, of that, 33% end up having adult acne as well. So some of the risk factors for acne would include um, a family component. We see it more often if there are um, siblings, parents who've also dealt with acne um, due to the genetic component of it. Also um, hormonal imbalances, uh, girls with PCOS, precocious puberty, puberty um, some of those are risk factors that we commonly see with acne, um, medication-induced acne. We see a decent amount of kids who are on MEK inhibitors and other, uh, or other medications that uh, contribute to their involvement of acne. Absolutely, and um, you know, it really affects, we see a lot of our teenagers struggling with depression and self-esteem, um, just with how impactful the acne can be to them. So I think that's really important piece to be aware of too when we're thinking about our patients with acne is the psychosocial impact that this can have on them as well. And, you know, there are a lot of documented risk factors, but there's also lots of, you know, common myths about what causes acne. So is there anything that you can speak of about, you know, certain foods that cause it, exercise, you know, how often they wash their face, you know, myths that you might be able to debunk for, for the pediatricians and pr practitioners out there that we can help educate parents and patients on? Yeah, absolutely. I get asked a lot is, uh, you know, is it that I'm eating chocolate or I'm eating potato chips? And typically it's not related to food. Some people, you know, notice that they flare with food and I say, you know, go ahead and stay away from that. But from a research perspective, we're not really seeing that. Um, you know, making sure we're cleansing the skin once or twice a day is a really important piece to this. We have a lot of sweaty teenagers who play sports and then, you know, don't cleanse their skin afterwards and can definitely cause their acne to flare so that's a really important piece to taking care of the acne as well can they cleanse their skin too much i mean do we ever see dryness that happens if they're washing their face four or five times a day yes, yes. that can happen um 
I think now with all the social media and the TikTok videos and all those other things, everybody is trying a lot of different products, layering a lot of different products, and they could be contributing to more acne by just doing too much. Okay. Um, it's pretty simple, keeping it basic. You don't need all the fancy, expensive products to improve your skin. Great. Um, as far as when we see a patient in our office, what are some important um, history questions to ask? You know, what, what are the, the key things, the key pieces of, the, of their story that we need to make sure that we're asking them? I think one of the things to ask is when the acne started, if we're seeing it, you know, in younger patients, um, making sure we're not missing any precocious puberty or any other um, things that could be contributing to that, um, asking if there's things that make it worse, make it better, what they've tried so far in their acne journey. Um, for girls, it's important to ask about if it's flaring with their menstrual cycle to know if there's a hormonal component to it going over their medication history to see if there are medications that could be causing their acne. Um, the family history, we have a lot of patients that seem, it seems to be a common theme that if their parents were on Accutane <laughs> or their siblings were on Accutane, uh, it seems to be a little higher of a, a probab probability that that might be in their future as well. And, and you mentioned age of onset, you know, as a concern for precocious puberty or other endocrinologic issues. Um, are there any other red flags that might come up in a history that would maybe escalate this to referring to a specialist sooner? Sure. Um, really identifying uh, signs of PCOS. So for girls, that would be having some um, hair thinning or female pattern baldness, Hertzuism, um, irregular menstrual cycles, obesity, those can all um, kind of lead you towards sending them to gynecology or endocrinology for a further hormonal workup. And then for pre precocious puberty, um, doing your full exam, checking their tanner stage to make sure that they're appropriate for their age. Great. And then as far as the exam, uh, what are some some key things we should be checking as far as like areas of the body, uh, types of acne, and any other findings that you know might might be helpful? Uh, we want to make sure we're not just looking at the face. A lot of our patients are having acne on their chest and back and shoulders, um, so making sure we're not missing anything there. Um, looking to see if this is mostly comedonal acne, so like the smaller, more skin-colored bumps and blackheads, or are we seeing a lot of pustules, a lot of you know red pus bumps, a lot of inflammatory acne? Um, are we starting to see any scarring or pigment changes in the skin? Are all important things to be looking for in your assessment. Okay. So, Kelly, you had mentioned asking families and patients what things they've tried already as part of the history. What are some of the better over-the-counter options that people can and should try before we go to a prescription-level treatment? Yeah, so there's a lot of really good gentle cleansers on the market. Um, CeraVe, Cetaphil are some options. Um, anything with a benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid component are good places to start over-the-counter. Um, as far as cleansers go, um, there's also a product, uh, and actually an over-the-counter retinoid called Differin that patients can use. Um, that's a medicine that they would use um, at nighttime to help with their acne as well um, before getting to prescription strength medications. And it is, is it okay to use those in combination with each other? Yes. Okay. And when we're seeing the patient in the office, are there certain morphologies of the acne that are going to lend themselves better to over-the-counter versus prescription, you know, thinking, you know, whitehead, blackhead, comedomes versus the nodulocystic type? Sure. Um, 
so really when we're looking at acne, we look at it two different ways. You have your inflammatory acne, so you have red bumps, pus bumps, cystic acne. Those things are more geared to being treated with antimicrobials and antibiotics. So things like benzoyl peroxide, um, clindamycin lotion, um, there's a few other topical antibiotic um, medications, ultimately progressing to oral antibiotics. Um, from your comedonal standpoint, so whiteheads, blackheads, retinoids work better on that type of acne. So over-the-counter adapalene, progressing to prescription strength medications like a higher adapalene, tretinoin, Tazerac. Okay. And then as far as escalating to prescription medications, uh, what are your guys' preferred starting points for different levels of acne for prescriptions? So for um, individuals with mild acne, maybe a few small pink papules or closed comedones, um, really they could start over the counter with benzoyl peroxide, uh, adapalene. You can do a fancy combo of that, which is a prescription um, called EpiDuo, but it's not really needed. If the family can afford it or don't want to get a prescription, that's something that they could do over the counter. If they're trying that or they're having, um, you know, several larger pink bumps, um, more closed or open comedones, so they're getting pustules, and I would probably have them start with prescription medications. Getting their way to us, we're happy to see anyone at any stage um, of their acne, but I would say if you're seeing a lot of cystic lesions or scarring, that that would really prompt you to get into us as quick as you can. So Absolutely. we can prevent further damage. And you know, topical retinoids, um, tretinoin creams and gels, uh, how well are those tolerated? as far as um, dryness, redness, and as far as like the gels versus the creams, how do you guys suggest we choose? Yeah, so they can be very irritating to the skin. So a lot of times we'll start um, low with like the lower strength tretinoin, the 0.025. Um, I typically start with cream. I feel like that's typically a little bit better tolerated. And I'll have my patients start off using it just a couple nights a week, kind of letting their skin get used to the medication, um, working up to being able to tolerate it every night. You can also use facial moisturizers with this. It's not um, something that they, you know, we can't have them put moisturizer on their face. We just want to make sure it's a uh, moisturizer that's non-comedogenic, meaning it's not going to then cause more acne. Um, and I just try and explain to my patients that this is the medication working and we need it to be a little dry and irritated to help, you know, kind of turn the skin cells over quicker to get to the bottom of the acne. Um, but most of the time, if our patients are able to stick with it, use the moisturizers, that dryness and irritation tends to subside after a couple weeks. And then what about topical antibiotic ointments like clindamycin gel? What role does that play? We tend to use that when you see a lot of more pus bump type acne. So, you know, a lot of the, the whiteheads that kids are tempted to pop and pick, um, that tends to work really well. We just want to make sure we're also using like a clindamycin in conjunction with a benzoyl peroxide product so that we don't run into any antibiotic resistance with using the clindamycin. Okay. And then I know I learned the hard way in high school about the bleaching effects of benzoyl peroxide. Uh, are there any other of those types of things we need to worry about, kind of unexpected side effects with either the clindamycin gel, the tretinoin uh, creams and gels? Sure. I was going to speak back on previously on the, tr the tretinoins that we were talking about, um, just to make people aware that, you know, even if acne is really bad, you can't just start out with a higher tretinoin. So it's not going to be equivalent just because your acne is really bad that you'll tolerate more. So 
a lot of the times kids will come in kind of skipping some of the other lower strength tretinoins saying that, that, you know, I tried it for a day or two and I didn't tolerate it. It was burning my skin. It was irritating me. And it's really that they just got put on something too strong, too quick that their body didn't just kind of toughen up and get used to the treatment before they kind of escalated in the strengths of medications. So I think that kind of deters kids from using their medicines when they kind of start out higher than they really could have tolerated. Um, side effects of the medication, as you spoke, the, the benzoyl peroxide does stain things. So we tell patients that when they're using the product, if they, if they, you know, would like, they can just take it in the shower. If they have acne on their chest, their back, their shoulders, it's okay to put your acne medicine anywhere that you're getting acne. And then I just kind of tell them, make sure that you have a white towel or you're drying off with a towel that your mom does not care about because she's not going to be happy when you stain everything in the house. Same thing with your, um, if they wash their face with it and they go lay down on their pillow to make sure they have a white pillowcase or a pillowcase that they don't care that they're ruining. And I assume that all of these meds are, um, safe to use on the chest and the back and the shoulders just as well as they are on the face? Yeah. You just have to be careful with getting them around your eyes. And then what role do oral antibiotics play? Like when do you guys jump to something, the doxycycline family? So I typically jump to doxycycline or an oral antibiotic. I think we all do is when somebody is having big cystic acne lesions or if they have scarring, um, that gets us to jump to the next step. And when, and when you start oral antibiotics, you should still do other things with it. So I would say a typical regimen if I'm putting somebody on antibiotics, I still tell them to continue their benzoyl peroxide. They could stop their topical antibiotic because there's not really a need for you to stay on a topical and an oral. And then while they're on the antibiotic, if you want, you can increase their tretinoin if, if you need to. And we also want to make sure we're not using oral antibiotics as like a long-term treatment. This is something that we're really trying to hold to three months. Occasionally, we'll push it to six months, um, but this is more of a short-term, you know, try to get things under control, get, you know, ahead of the um, inflammatory part of the acne, get ahead of any scarring, um, but really not putting patients on the oral antibiotics and having that be like a maintenance, you know, for a year or more kind of treatment. Um, And I think, too, if... If kids are really bothered by their acne and it's really impacting their self-esteem, their well-being, they're having some psychosocial issues, having acne, um, I think that's also a a really good time to be a little bit more aggressive so that we can address both the mental health component as well as the the acne that we're seeing in our patients. And back to the um, using the oral antibiotic for two to three months at a time, do you guys ever pulse antibiotics, you know, three months on, three months off, or do you really like to do three months and you're done? pretty much three months and we're done um, you know if after three months acne is still not where we want it to be and we're still really struggling then our next step would be to use isotretinoin or Accutane um, but we would not just keep you on antibiotics for long periods of time. We, we explain that to the, the patients as well so a, a key thing to tell teenagers particularly is that improving your acne is not an overnight thing. Um, We're kind of in that age where everybody's expecting immediate results from everything, and it takes a good six to eight weeks to notice an improvement in acne, regardless whether you're using topicals or oral antibiotics or isotretinoin. Um, And that's an improvement. That's not clearance of your acne, and I think that's really um, an important piece, too, is managing expectations with our teenagers that, you know, my goal is to get you to where you want to be, and I want you to be clear, but a big part of acne is hormones and we're not changing who they are. We, you know, they're teenagers and developing and um, their hormones are all over the place. So kind of managing expectations that, you know, 
um, overnight isn't going to happen and that, you know, we're going to do the best we can to make them as happy as they can. Speaking of hormones, what role do oral contraceptive pills play, other medicines like spironolactone? How often do you use those for acne management? There's definitely the right patient to use those in. You know, um, girls that come in and are saying that they're flaring every month with their period, their acne gets a lot worse. Um, that's a really good opportunity to use an oral contraceptive. Um, there are some that are FDA approved specifically for acne management. So, um, you know, sometimes we will prescribe them in our office. That's something we're starting to do a little bit more. Other times we'll refer that back to the pediatrician or to gynecology to have them manage with us as well. And with those medications um, to manage hormonal acne, we just want to make sure that patients are being put on a, a combo pill, something with estrogen and progesterone in it. If you're put on progesterone only, you can flare your acne more. Um, the spironolactone, we don't use a ton of it just no. because we have such great success with isotretinoin that seems to be more of a permanent uh, solution for it. Um, but we will prescribe that for girls um, especially if they have other things going on, like the uh, excessive body hair and other PCOS um, um, signs that might go with that. And it's a good option for girls who don't want to do birth control or for parents who are a little weary of isotretinoin. It is a really good option um, to use for our patients as well. Yeah, in addition to that, there's a newer one out that's been out for the past couple years called Win Levy Cream, and it's kind of the only acne treatment in its category mm -hmm. that help with top, uh, hormonal acne in a topical way for boys and girls. And then minimizing scars is definitely gonna be a long-term goal for acne management. Is there any other practical advice you guys can share to help minimize scarring? Not picking at your acne is a, is a good place to start. Um, making sure that um, a tretinoin or a retinoid product is in the regimen, that can be helpful with scarring as well. Um, and making sure that we're using sunscreen on the face to minimize any you know sun changes and, and hyperpigmentation um, scarring with acne as well. And then, you know, the next level. I think a lot of the things that you've mentioned are medicines that a primary care provider would be comfortable managing. Um, Isotretinoin is that next level. And that's, you know, carries a lot of stigma with some families, even some providers. When is isotretinoin a good choice? So we use isotretinoin when either we've done all the topical medications, we've done three months of oral antibiotics, and we're still really struggling with acne. Um, or when we're having severe nodulocystic scarring acne is kind of the, the FDA indication for that medication. Um, and so that's, it's really hit or miss with insurance. If we can jump right to isotretinoin, a lot of times we do have to try these other things first. Um, but I'd say either if you're seeing that severe inflammatory scarring acne, or you've done everything you can do in your office and they're really still struggling, then that's you know really a good time for us to, to see them and to get that medication started. And if a primary care provider thinks that their patient may need Accutane, it would be very helpful before referring to dermatology while you're putting in that referral to go ahead and start that oral antibiotic, um, because most of the time insurance will deny Accutane unless they've had, you know, 30 days or 60 days trial of an oral antibiotic. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, the FDA does require females to be on two forms of birth control or to be abstinent in order to start 
isotretinoin. So another helpful thing would be starting your female patients on birth control or having that discussion with them what their potential plan would be if they end up going down the route of isotretinoin. And I know I would not typically start isotretinoin in the office. I I wouldn't. but I often get asked about it. I often have parents come in and say, you know, we're seeing dermatology. I think they're wanting to start Accutane. What do you think? Um, they want me to talk about risk factors and to, is it safe? Um, so can you guys kind of talk about, you know, the risks? Obviously the benefits are great. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really does clear the acne on a more permanent basis. Yeah. Um, but there's risk and parents are worried because I think they've heard a lot about the risks that come with it, the mood effects, the, the liver effects. So how do you guys counsel patients and parents about the risk factors of Accutane? For me, I just have an honest conversation with them and say, hey, you know, these are the risks of this medication. Um, I honestly think it's safer and better tolerated long-term than long-term antibiotics. Um, We do occasionally see jumps in the liver enzymes. We do monitor blood work before they get started, so we have a baseline. And then typically after they've been on it for two months, we'll recheck the blood work. Um, If there is a bump in the liver enzymes that we see, oftentimes we can either take them off or lower the dose, recheck the liver, and everything normalizes. Um, And I think from a mental health standpoint, Um, You know, I've been in the department for 10 years and I've not really seen many patients have negative effects with mental health. If anything, I've seen an improvement in mental health. We get kids feeling better, they're feeling more comfortable in their skin, their self-esteem is improving, um, and we really kind of make a lot of things better for them. So I try honest with families and let them know that that is a risk and that if, you know, we're seeing changes or the child is feeling different, then we need to have a a conversation. But um, I think most of the time, overwhelming majority of the time, my patients are much better at the end with treatment. In regards to depression, actually 51% of girls with acne have depressive symptoms already compared to 32% without acne. And for boys, it's 20% compared to 14%. So um, those statistics are showing that acne is already affecting mental health. So I think if we can get that under control, then maybe they would have less psychological side effects. And if I do have a patient that, you know, has a known history of depression or, you know, other mental health concerns, um, for me, that's not a complete deterrent. It's a conversation to have. I will co-manage these patients with their therapist or their psychiatrist or, you know, whoever's managing them from a mental health perspective, just so that we have, you know, collaboration of care and everyone is on the same page. Um, But I think this is definitely a really good option um, for most of our patients. And what's a typical duration of treatment for Accutane? Typically anywhere from six to nine months. We get you to a, a goal dose based on your weight. Um, and we want you to be clear of acne with no breakouts for at least two months before you stop. And most of the time in that six to nine month ballpark, those things happen. And typically they don't have to go back and repeat a course. Is correct, that correct? Correct. About 80% of people who complete a course of Accutane will stay clear after. We do have some who need a second round. We have even less that need kind of like a low dose indefinitely if they're having a hard time handling it, especially those um, kids who are on other medications that are causing their acne that they can't go off of, then we may need to just keep a long-term course going. Other side effects of the medication, um, things that we watch for, most common complaints of patients are the dryness that it causes. So most of the patients get chapped lips, dry skin, Um, occasional nosebleeds just from the inside of the nose getting dry and we just give them recommendations of how to try to prevent those things or kind of manage those things while you're dealing with it. Um, 
like the tetracyclines, there is a rare risk of increased cranial pressure. So we let them know, you know, these are the things to look for. If you're having these symptoms, you need to stop your medicine and call. Um, rarely or not commonly reported like muscle aches, upset stomach, GI intolerance. Um, it causes photosensitivity. So we just educate on making sure that people are wearing sunscreen with sun exposure to prevent sunburns. And once they complete their course of uh, Accutane, do they then go back to the other topical medicines or are they typically clear and done? Typically they're clear and done. I mean, we have some who will occasionally use some benzoyl peroxide or some kind of just mild, you know, medicated cleanser, um, but typically just washing with a gentle cleanser after. So we've talked about a lot of the medicines we've used for a long time for acne. Are there any new medicines or treatments that are coming to market that we might hear about as primary care providers? Sure. Yeah, over the past couple years, there's been several new products. Um, I kind of brushed on the Win Levy, which is that hormonal cream that is out there. Um, Trifiratine, which is a retinoid that seems to be less irritating than other products. Um, there is topical 4% minocycline foam. Um, and then there's a few other new products that are combination products. So things that have a combo of tretinoin and benzoyl peroxide or a combo of clinda, myosin, benzoyl peroxide, and adapalene. There are, we kind of talked on um, benzoyl peroxide, clindamycin, the retinoids. Um, there are products out there where things can be comboed. Um, we just don't prescribe a lot of that because it's, they seem to be more difficult to get covered by insurance. So um, the separating them work as well as the comboed. It's just the convenience of having things all in one. So if, that's an, if there's an opportunity to combo things, then I think teenagers appreciate that and adolescents appreciate that. Yes, less steps to do in their regimen is sometimes helps with compliance um, and making it so that our kids are actually using their medications. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Kelly, Beth, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, as a reminder to our listeners, today's discussion was guided by the community practice support tool that's available on cincinnatichildrens.org under provider resources. Also, today's episode is available for CME credit. You can find the links for that in the description. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their day. Thank Thank you so much.